Open your Bibles to Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at two verses, verses 30 and 31 here in a little bit. Um, Hudson Taylor was one of the greatest missionaries, I think, that ever lived. Um, he started out as a young doctor in England, and then later on in life, uh, as God worked in his heart, he took him to the place of China. And as he went to China, he did an incredible work for God. In fact, there are millions of Christians in China today that can trace their ancestral roots, their faith, back to the great work of this man, Dr. James Hudson Taylor. But when he was a doctor in England, he used to do uh, the medical work in the old-fashioned sense. He would go from house to house and he would minister to people. And there was on one occasion that he went to a house to a very sick man. And in, his, in Dr. Taylor's mind, he was a very wicked man. And so, but he would go and he would do his typical uh, physical needs medicine for this, for this man week after week, month after month. He would give him bandages. He would clean him. He would give him medicine. And then after he took care of his physical needs, he then would say to him, I would like to share something about my Lord Jesus Christ. And he would say, my friend, I want you to see Jesus Christ. I want you to understand him. That he came into the world to save sinners, and he will save you if you will believe. So he wanted to minister to his spiritual needs. Well, he did this every time that he came, and every time the man had the same response, he would turn his face away from Dr. Taylor, and he would look at the wall. His face was stone, his heart was stone, and he just rejected anything that Dr. Taylor would say to him. Well, Dr. Taylor came, like I said, week after week, month after month, and after he would minister to him in the physical sense, he would say, now just a little word about my Lord Jesus Christ, who died for sinners such as you and me. And he would say that every single time. Well, on one occasion when Dr. Taylor was going, he got a little discouraged and probably like you and I thought to himself, why waste my breath? Why waste my breath on this individual? And so on this particular time, he simply met the physical needs. He did the bandages. He did the care. He gave the medicine. And then he put all of his utensils into his doctor's bag, and he walked towards the door. And the man, knowing that he wasn't going to keep with his routine, said to him, Are you not going to say something little to me? He was listening. And Dr. Taylor ran back to him with tears in his eyes and he said, Man, I must tell you, Christ came to save souls. He was now listening. Now, I look at this and I realize that sometimes I don't have that passion to really share Christ that way. I look at that and I think, Lord, increase my passion so that I would have the desire to share Jesus Christ with those that are around me in this way. This was something on Dr. Taylor's mind. It was upon his heart at all times. It's something that he wanted. And I'm reminded that everywhere we go, just as it was said earlier, every occupation that we have, everything that we do in life, it is a part of our mission. 
Our mission field is right here. And there will be at times those that are like this man who had a hard heart that will turn their faces against you and say, I don't want anything to do with that. But God wants us to continue to love. He wants us to continue to care. And he wants us to continue to share. Because these are some of the least expected individuals. Some of the people you least expect to respond, God will do a miracle in that person's life. Today we're going to look at Rahab. We're going to look at the faith of Rahab, who was a prostitute. And we're going to see how God did the the most unlikely work in her life. She's our unlikely hero today. She is the least expected that you would see in the scriptures that you would say, yeah, that person would come to faith in God. But she did that. But we're going to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to share the, the, the biblical portion of our passage today. And then halfway through the message time, we're going to do tag team preaching. I am going to pass it on to Brandon. And Brandon is going to take the applications that we learned in our passage today and put it in the context of his work uh, in, in the part of the world that he is working in. Now, I will tell you that those that are going to watch us on, t- on, on their computers, we are going to black out his portion because of the sensitive nature that, uh, that he is going to be sharing. So uh, you guys get to see it firsthand. Congratulations. It's good that you're here. There is bonus to being at church on Sunday. So our passage this week is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 30 and 31. But before we look at that, let me ask the Lord to work in our hearts. Lord, help us to have a faith that you are pleased with. Help us to have a faith that has confidence in you. Help us to have a faith that believes that you will do a work in the least expected. In the person in our life that we think is the furthest away from you, may, you, may we believe that you will do that work. And so, Lord, increase our faith even as we look at your word. In Christ's name, amen. Hebrews 11, verse 30 and 31 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Now, in these two short verses, we have a lot of faith. If you were to go into the book of Joshua, you would see all kinds of faith that is uh, given in that book. I would encourage you, that's your assignment this week, read the book of Joshua. Now, in this, we see the faith of Joshua, and we see the faith of Rahab, the harlot. Now, we're not going to deal with Joshua a whole lot, but I will say this. We see Joshua's faith in that he takes the armies of God, the people of God, around the city of Jericho. And he is going to be used. See, what happened is that God, or Moses, passes on the baton to Joshua, and he will be the leader. He will be the next pioneer after Moses who takes the people into the promised land. But he didn't get to the promised land very quickly. You need to back up 40 years when Moses sent out 12 scouts. This was a special special ops commission. He sends 12 scouts into the land, uh, this promised land that they are about to take. And they came back with a mixed report. 
the report was, man, this land is flowing with milk and honey. They had men carrying on sticks the grapes that they, they, that they found in this land. It was an incredible, fruitful, and abundant land. But 10 of the spies said, we can't take the land because there's giants in the land. There's no way possible that we can do it. But Joshua and Caleb said, no, 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 we'll swallow them up in victory because we got our God behind us. But the people sided with the other 10 spies and they became afraid. So God gave them a 40-year sentence to the wilderness and said, okay, due to unbelief, you get to stay in the wilderness. So 40 years of wondering, 40 years intense, 40 years to have a reflective time out on what their faith is all about. So now we have, finally, the baton is passed off to Joshua. And Moses dies, and he takes the people of Israel, and they come to this major city where the giants were, Jericho. The mighty men of valor are in this city. And so God says, I'm going to take this city, but we're going to do it in an unconventional manner so that you know that it's only me that can get the glory for this. Just listen to this. It might be, it'll be on the screen. Joshua chapter 6, verse 2 through 5. See if this is an unconventional way. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands with its king and mighty men of valor. There's the giants. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do it for six days. Just march one time around the city for six days straight. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with ram horns, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people shall go up against everyone straight before him." Can you imagine in the president's war room, the strategy be given, this is how we're going to defeat ISIS. We are going to march around their camps once every day. And then on the seventh day, we're going to go around it seven times. And then we're going to blow our horns and shout. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. That's the point. God wanted it to be ridiculous. He wanted them to know that it was only God that was going to defeat this city. Now, before he actually defeats the city, we have to back up because there's something special that took place. See, Joshua sent out two more spies to scout out the land and especially Jericho. But this time was different than 40 years previous. They weren't going out to find out whether they could take the city. That was a foregone conclusion. He already knew it was going to happen. It was tactical in nature. It was tactical in nature. And what happened is these two spies went into the city and they had an encounter with a woman named Rahab who's, who is labeled as a prostitute in the scriptures. And from an earthly viewpoint, she was the wrong person to strike up an alliance. There was nothing about this woman that was right. And so this is our first point. The first point was that this was the wrong woman, earthly speaking. Look at Joshua chapter 2 verse 1. It'll be on the screen. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land 
especially Jericho. And when they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, they lodged there. So the question is, why is Rahab the wrong person from an earthly perspective? There's two reasons. First of all, she was of the wrong race. She was of the wrong race. Rahab was a Canaanite. A Canaanite was a group of people, a people group that God considered infectious to his own people. You say, well, why? That's pretty harsh. Why were they considered infectious? See, the Canaanites were a sexually driven society. They worshiped false gods, and as a result of that false worship, they used temple prostitutes in order to aid in that false worship. In order for you to actually worship, you as a man would need, you would be obliged to go see the temple prostitute and carry out acts with her. This was an X-rated society, and God knew his people. He knew their heart. He knew what they were prone to, and he knew that this would be wrong for them. And this is why God says, get rid of them. Get rid of all the Canaanites. In fact, he had a whole list of all the ites that they were to get rid of, the Hivitites. They were to get rid of the Gerizites. They were to get rid of the Jebusites and the Canaanites. They were to get rid of all these people because God knew what they were prone to. Now, if, for verification of this, if you fast forward in the book of Joshua, you will see that the people were disobedient to God. And guess what they did? Since they didn't get rid of all the ites, they intermarried with them. And when they intermarried with them, guess what they started to do? They started to worship false gods. They started to turn to idolatry and temple prostitution. They even went to sacrificing their own children to Moloch, which was an unbelievable act. Once again, throughout history, children have always been, the, the newly born, the unborn, were always at risk. And so this is what they turn to. Now you might say, Steve, why would God want to wipe out a people group? Doesn't God love the world? God so loved the world. Why would he want to wipe out all these people? Well, that wasn't his heart. His heart was to preserve these people. In fact, God made it very, very clear that he wanted them to, to know. And, and this is how I know this. Well, first of all, they had possessed a land that wasn't theirs. If you were to have a, go away from your house for some time and you came back and you found that squatters were in your house, you would have every right to reclaim your house, right? It's not a bad thing to get the people out of your house that don't own your house. Well, these were people that were sitting in a land that wasn't their land. It was God's land. But here's the other thing. God loved them so much that he gave warnings. He gave the hornet. You say, what in the world is the hornet? I'm going to read a passage out of Exodus 23. This was God's plan of moving people lovingly out of the land that wasn't theirs. This is what God said he would do. I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people against whom you shall come. I will make all your enemies turn their backs to you and I will send hornets before you, which shall drive them out, shall drive out the Hivitites, the Canaanites, the Hittites from before you. I will not drive them out before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and wild beasts multiply against you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased and possess 
the land. Do you see God had a plan? He used the hornet. You say, what in the world is this hornet? I don't know. I have no idea. Was it an angelic being? Was it, was it actual hornets? I don't know what it was, but it was somehow a message of God for people, and they knew that they needed to move out. And you'll see in a minute that Rahab knew this as well. So this is what God did. Now, this was the wrong race, but she was also of the wrong occupation. Think about it. Rahab, prostitute, alliance with her. Why would she do that? She was one of the ones that took people and brought them into the false worship of false gods. Now, according to Jewish traditions, this isn't in the scriptures, this is in literature. According to Jewish tradition, Rahab was one of the four most beautiful women in history. She had a ranking up there with Sarah and Bathsheba and Esther, according to traditions. Now, this is true. Business would have been booming for her. Business would have been booming. But needless to say, she was one of the prostitutes, and she would have been one of those infectious people that God said, we need to eliminate. But what we see here is we see something beautiful. We see a beautiful act of grace in the heart of God here that he has for all people. We see transformation take place with this woman, and that transformation came because of faith, because of the working of the Spirit of God in her life. We'll see that in a moment. But let me give you the first faith principle. We have three this morning. The first faith principle is this. Faith is available to all apart from merit, and regardless of reputation. Now, I want you to think about that. Faith is available to all apart from merit, apart from our works, and regardless of what our reputation is. It doesn't matter whether you're a homosexual. It doesn't matter whether you are a drunkard or a gambler or anything in life. God loves all people. He wants all people to come to faith in Christ. He doesn't care if it's a Hindu, if it's a Buddhist, if it's a Muslim, if it's any other world religion that is wrong, that's outside of Christ. He loves all people and he wants them to come to faith in Christ. And church, God has put somebody in your life that's of that least expected. He has that person in your life that he wants you to make that investment into. Sometime back, about a year ago, I wrote this prayer request. There was, I'm not going to read them all, but this was one of them. My prayer is that each person at Mission View would have one person that they invest into, that they would invest into that they would take to the scriptures and show them the love of Jesus. I want you to know, I continue to pray that for every person. Can you imagine what would happen if one person, each of us had one person we invested into? What kind of transformation that could do to our body, that can do to this world? Let's move on. We have this woman who is the unlikely woman, the wrong person, and she also has an unconventional achievement. So this is what put her in the book of Hebrews. Three things she did. Number one, what she did, she hid the spies. We know that she hid the spies, and when the king of that land of Jericho uh, went, to, uh, went to find those spies, they sent someone, he sent someone to Rahab and says, listen, you know, give us the spies. Evidently, someone saw, saw them go into her house, or that was natural for outsiders to go to the prostitute's house. Either way, he sends a messenger, and she says, nope, they're not here. 
She ended up hiding them, and she says, they're not here. They've gone outside the city, and he sends them on a wild goose chase. So that's what she did. But why did she do it? We're told why she did it in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9 through 11. Look at this. It'll be on the screen. This was her interactions with the spies. And she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth below. Notice the words that she used. I know, we have heard, our hearts melted, he is God. See, what we learn from this passage is that Rahab realized that there was one true God, not multiple gods as as she had believed. She believed in one God. She admitted that they had heard of the power of God and that that they had fear of this God, Yahweh. And she personally believed in him because she says, uh, uh, for the Lord your God, he is God. She gives an acknowledgement that he is God. And I believe this is where transformation takes place in this, li- this woman's life. From this point forward, she would no longer follow the gods of the Canaanite. She would follow the one true God. So what did she ask as a result of this? She just said, hey, listen, look after my family. Remember our kindness. Please spare our lives. And they put a, gave her a symbol of a, of a, of a scarlet ro- rope that they, she hung outside of her window, and, they, and her, their lives were preserved. But here's our second faith principle. Our second faith principle is this. Faith aligns with God and, as a result, and results in uncompromising evidence. Think about that. Faith aligns with God, and it shows in our works. In our works. It should be evident who we belong to. There's nothing secret about this. She is not secret about her faith from this point forward. And I think sometimes in Christianity, we think, oh, my my faith is kind of to myself. It's, It's meant to be just for me and God. No, it's not. That's not the case at all. There should be evidence in our life that we are in love with Jesus Christ if we have a relationship with him. And this was evident in Rahab's life, and it should be evident in ours. Well, finally, there's a reward. There's a reward that Rahab has for her faith. I think three three rewards here. Number one is the physical reward. God saves her family. Isn't that cool? He saves her family. Friends, do you realize that God uses you as parents as a covering for your kids? We're told in 1 Corinthians 7, 14, it indicates that children are set apart by the faith of the believing spouse. 
This doesn't mean that your faith saves your child, but it means that you create an environment that is conducive for your child to learn what faith is all about so when they grow up, they can make their own decision as to who Christ is. Here's the problem. The problem in, in our world today is that many Christian families hold competing values in their life. And as a result, their children cannot see a clear-cut faith in their parents. Their parents look like any other parents. And as a result, they are confused in terms of what is real and what is true. And friends, parents, it is time. It is time for us to draw boundaries in our life. It is time for us to carry Christ in every aspect of our life. And it will affect the way that we think. It will affect the way that we act. And this is the sanctifying covering that God gives to save our family. I know you would do anything to save your family. Here's the second reward. The second reward was an eternal reward. The eternal reward was in the sense that it lasted for eternity. If you look at Matthew chapter 1 in the genealogy of Christ, you will find a curious name in there. There's a guy named uh, Salomon. Solomon was believed possibly to be one of the spies. We're not, I don't know that for certain, but he married a woman named Rahab, the harlot. And so we have a, genie, we have a Gentile in the genealogy of Christ, and they have a son, and his name is Boaz, and he marries Ruth and go on down the line, and we finally get to Christ. Imagine that, a Gentile harlot in the lineage of Christ. That's an eternal reward. And finally, there's the spiritual reward. The spiritual reward is that we are being challenged right now to make sure that our faith is evident, just like it was with Rahab. This morning, this is the point that I want to turn it over to Brandon, and I've asked him to come and, and share. But here's the last faith principle. The last faith principle is that God rewards our faith. Friends, believe that. He rewards us when we are faithful to him.